Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of the 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just went away overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, Pick it up today, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And, of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And we are the Inglorious Tragsperts. And today we're talking, when is a track not a track? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We're, we're, talking, we're talking movies that, that weren't Star Trek movies, but could have been. The best Star Trek movies that weren't Star Trek movies. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. But before we do that, before we do that, I have to apologize for something I said on last week's show before we go any further. Um, So I asked myself and you guys the question, what do we feel is the most underrated Bond movie? And, you know, in the heat of the moment, I said Octopussy at the time. And uh, I thought about it after we were off the air. And clearly the correct answer is Thunderball. Thunderball is a movie that everybody complains about how slow it is at the end with the underwater stuff and everything. I love Thunderball. I think that, yeah, that stuff is a little slow, but it's spectacular. And, um, and there's, it's, 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 
Sean Connery is fantastic in it. Luciana Paluzzi is Fiona Volp. I just I love that movie and, and people really always tend to bag on it. So that clearly is it, it should be my choice. So I just want to correct the, the record before we move on with this week's show. The fact that you thought it was that important to correct. It, it kept me up at night. Is a little bit of concern to me. <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, I mean, we we all love things very strongly. But take a deep breath. Well, I did. You know, okay. I guess it's Bond is on my mind because, of course, as this airs, um, uh, it's uh, the day that the new Bond movie has opened at theaters, No Time to Die. Uh, I saw it today when we're recording, which is about a week before. I'm not going to say anything. No spoilers here. But, um, uh, you know, Bond is on my mind. Let's put it that way. And, and, and I'm sure we can have a more substantial discussion once you've all seen it. Um, perhaps, kind on the of, four, perhaps on the 430 movie. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of in that phase, like when I was the first person to see Phantom Menace, uh, right before Ooh. I left for Cannes. Uh-oh. And uh, I came out of the screening and saw people online and uh, felt like Kevin McCarthy, Invasion of the Bystanders, got on a plane to the Cannes Film Festival and wasn't able to, um, to talk to anybody. I think you've uh, answered the question without answering it. About it. It was very frustrating. And then I'm in that situation now. I know a couple of people at the screening. Our good friend Scott Mance was there. A couple other people who I've talked to. But until it, the movie premieres next week, I'm all right. I'm not going to say anything more. So, so there you go. Um, we still have the Beatles. So, okay. So, uh, so anyway, Ashley Miller is back with us. Uh, uh, fully, fully uh, registered and licensed fully to, to track and rested <laughs> and ready. Yeah. So, of course, uh, fans of Ashley know him as the uh, showrunner of the hit Netflix series Dota Dragon's Blood. Uh, so do enemies seasons. of Ashley, by the way. Yes, so yes they do. <laughs> them, <laughs> my enemies, especially. Been a writer on such shows as Friends, Fringe, and, and Black Sails. He was a writer of Thor and X Men First Class. But most, most important of all, he is now a newly minted, still new. I mean, it's only been a month and a half. I mean, until my 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 uh, leg starts to feel better, the Vegas convention was still recent. So uh, (laughs) I I, I would say that uh, that Ashley is still a newly minted recent uh, official track sports. You of all people should realize the danger of reopening old wounds. Oh, let me tell you, I I just I I wish it would go away that I I can't I can't put that convention behind me because uh, let it go. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I would like to. I would like to. But uh, but today we're not here to talk about Vegas. We're I was there when about... you sustained your old Star Trek injury. The old the old wound. The old the wound. Old wound. <laughs> one land, one king. Uh, it was an Excalibur kind of weekend. Not only were you knighted and made a Trexpert, but the the old wound was uh, was uh, I was victimized <laughs> by the old wound. Well, we're we're doing Star Trek now, so it's more like an Excalibur kind of weekend. <laughs> And Darren was kind of like Lancelot at that convention. So, you know, all, all in all, it was um, it was an, and it, it, the only thing is it didn't take place at the Excalibur. It took place at the Rio. That's right. Almost, almost as bad. Almost as bad. <laughs> so um, anyway, but we're here to talk about movies that could have been Star Trek movies, or I guess a way of, of looking at it is movies that provide a good template for a Star Trek movie in a way. Uh, the, 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 you know, um, they felt there's something about them that feels Star Trekky, if I may use that as Star Trekky, adjective. Star Trekky. Um, just as you you could uh, you know argue that certain movies have the feeling of a Bond movie, 
maybe not time no time for die but but uh you could argue you know funeral in berlin and the harry palmer movies you know they feel like a bond movie without being a bond movie and uh and so it's same thing with star trek they're movies that are almost more star trek than star trek when you're human than human when you were mentioning that list i i I sort of uh realized that i really want to see harry palmer and the sorcerer's stone <laughs> You'd have the glasses yeah. and everything. That yeah. would be. I, I'd like to see that too. Either world. Are you? Are you a muggle? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because Michael Caine, I think, was the only respected, prestigious English British actor, actor not, in not in a in Harry English. Potter yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> so this this could be his big chance. They're right, rebooting so the franchise. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> moving right along. Ha- by the way, Ashley, uh, welcome, yes. welcome back. Uh, good to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's good to be. How's things? How's things going in Hollywood Land this week? You know what? Things in Hollywood Land are a okay. By the way, I have to say uh, this is the uh, today, the day we record. It's the thirty fourth anniversary of the broadcast of Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. Wow. Which uh, yeah. we just celebrated on the show when we talked about the Bible, but um, the book. But, the book yeah i remember right. quivering with excitement waiting for that show to begin and uh i then at the end quivering more quivering for still reason. quivering exactly <laughs> well you know john pike the executive paramount famously said what the hell was that and i just watched <laughs> and uh, i kind of felt that way after uh seeing it although uh after uh, watching naked now the following week i was uh reappraising my feelings about Farpoint. Oh, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, look, I think even at Farpoint, there was a sense that the template was there for something better. Yeah. You know, like th- th- they had stuck the landing in terms of reinterpreting and extending the original series and, and making it feel fresh, but still keeping so much of what we loved about it. So even though Farpoint, in a way, was not a complete success in so many ways, um, it, you know, it also didn't feel like, um, you know, created by people who hated the franchise, who who right. who um, were trying to turn into something it's not. Who were embarrassed right. by science fiction. Right. Or right. James Bond. Oh, wait. No. Yes. By science fiction. Yes. Um, so or think that an evil twin is a new idea. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, it's interesting because, of course, you do get that weird combination of the Gene Roddenberry Q story. And then Dorothy's uh, Farpoint Station right. story. It's interesting because at the time, everyone really disliked the Q story. You know, they felt it was sort of Squire warmed over Squire of Gothos. And it's interesting that that the, the the Q story is the and Q as a character is the character that has endured all these many years. Right. It's like now you look at it as you know that line where he where he says, you know, I think this mission at Farpoint will provide an excellent test. You know, I'm kind of like. It's really like it's more of a of a mediocre test, you know, for, but like but the fact that um, that all of that came back, that uh, that Q, the trial, all of that came back and all good things suddenly makes Encounter at Farpoint better in retrospect, at least in those scenes. Right. Because yeah. then it makes the entire series feel like the test. Like, oh, OK, it's not just like the squid hug, but it's right? also testing us. Yes. Yes, it is. It, that I mean, is an excellent test of us. Yes. I was going to say exactly what you said, which is the um, that all good things, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, that all good things elevates Farpoint. That Farpoint now 
is better in retrospect because of all good things. Yes. You know, the yeah. way it utilized Farpoint, um, you know, which was super clever. Yeah. I mean, all, all good things. You know, one day we, I mean, I know we did an episode where we talked about best Star Trek uh, pilots and finales. Um, but, you know, all good things is really in that pantheon of great finales like Breaking Bad, like Six Feet Under, uh, not like The Sopranos. Yeah. Um, so um, it's it's uh, it's a real testament to um, Brandon and Ron and Michael who, who, you know, did that. Anyway, so we're talking about Star Trek movies that aren't Star Trek movies that are sense. There's something about them. There's a quality. I guess it's a, it's a hopefulness. Um, an optimism, uh, a, a relationship between the characters, um, a, a uh, maybe even a, a Shakespearean quality that uh, an operatic quality that we feel evokes the feeling of Star Trek. So, what I'd love to do is sort of hear your choices for the best Star Trek movies that aren't Star Trek movies. I'm going to start with I was going to say Mr. Monday, Steve Belching, but he's not here. I'm going to start with the. Uh, Darren, Darren Dutcherman, my my uh, co-host, and uh, see what his pick is. We have not discussed this before the show, so this is all going to be a big surprise, or is it? Now, I'm going to pull a Mark Altman and and give a couple that I, I didn't select. Good um, idea. Uh, I know everyone expects me to choose uh, the lovely uh, Master and Commander, the Far Side of the World. Uh, not only because it's a great Star Trek movie, but because I worked on it. Um, I'm not going to, however. Uh, I'll leave that to scholars. Just a broken arm, sir. You're in very good hands. Seven weeks sailing, and he happened on our exact position. Well, then perhaps he was looking for us. Damn, he was good. An act of war will cripple them. With basic repairs, we can get home as we are. We're not going home. The power of nature will threaten them. Our enemy has more than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers, and we are supposed to stop them. Torn between fulfilling his duty. Captain's not called Lucky Jack for no reason. Phantom or no, Lucky Jack, I love And the lives of the men he commands. Steady! He must face the invincible. He fights like you, Jack. A hunter becomes the hunted. Well then, there's not a moment to lose. Six inches, sir. The men would follow you anywhere. As a friend, I would say that we should have turned back weeks ago. It's leadership they want. Strength. Find that within yourself, and you will earn their respect. Take him out of the ship. Take him out of the ship. Thank you, sir. For home and for the prize. Stay off, Thompson. Let's fly. Um, but I I am going to pick a uh, a high seas adventure. And it is something that... Uh, Roger... I see. Why'd you pick uh, Juicy Juice? Well, because of the ecto-cooler. Okay. Uh, Got it. 
No, it's, it's something that uh, Roddenberry himself uh, voiced as an inspiration. Uh, the, uh, the books that this film is based on um, are uh, excellent. The uh, miniseries that was made from these is uh, even better. But the original film uh, with Gregory Peck, who is uh, apparently Spock's grandfather, um, huh. <laughs> uh, playing Captain Horatio Hornblower. <laughs> Unfurling all the romance and excitement of C.S. Forrester's mighty saga of the seas, Warner Brothers take you before the mast with the greatest naval hero of all time. In the fabulous days when iron men hurled wooden ships into mortal combat, when history hung on the slice of a sword, and only one man stood between the tyrant Bonaparte and his dream of world conquest, Captain Horatio Hornblower, who'd advanced into the fury of a thousand cannon, but retreated at the smile of one beautiful woman. When you tried to make me leave the ship, oh, Captain, in her heart, I thought, no, oh, every mile closer to England is agony for me. If I am not back aboard the Lydia within one hour, she'll train her guns upon your fort and reduce it to rubble. With you in it, Captain? That is my order. We'll load with chain shot. I want those four Frenchmen dismasted. We'll close to point-blank range and take them in succession. And it is a, uh, a wonderful, it, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a Hollywood movie. So the, a lot of the, uh, the worst aspects of, uh, uh, of sea voyages are sort of uh, smoothed over. And uh, it's, not, it, it, it's not a realistic portrayal, but it is a very adventurous and wonderful character piece. Um, and Peck is amazing. Uh, and it is, uh, it is very much, you can, as you're watching it, you can very much imagine our Star Trek characters uh, participating in it. Mm. That's and a great choice. I, a great I, choice. I really like it. And it's uh, a lot of fun. Uh, but if you can find the, uh, the BBC, I think it was BBC uh, uh, series, that was made uh, in, I believe, the 90s. Um, it's amazing. And uh, it, is, it, it, it takes all the stages of Hornblower's uh, uh, career, naval career, and uh, features them in each season. And uh, it's really well done. You know, it's interesting because I think, and I can't speak for what Ashley's going to say or what you may say in the future, that as much as uh, people call Star Trek wagon train to the stars and, and Star Trek was dramatically influenced by tv westerns really the movies that we're going to see that influence star trek or that could be Star Trek are mostly sea uh, uh ocean uh, ocean movies not just um you know naval movies sub movies 
Um, you know, uh, it's no accident that something like Balance of Terror was, uh, you know, a take on Run Silent, Run Deep, yeah. you know, you could, or The Enemy Below. Um, so I think it really, it's interesting that it, it really is these sort of naval movies and sub movies. And, you know, you mentioned Master Commander. I'm sure we're going to talk about that um, more so than, than the Westerns. I, I don't even think that there are a lot of Westerns that come to mind where I think that feels like Star Trek to me. Only in the fact that Westerns uh, usually had a very moral core to them mm-hmm. and that the main characters uh, usually were at least the, the uh, you know, earlier ones. Uh, that the characters had a very uh, moral center to them, and they did things uh, based on a code. Um, Come back, Spock! (laughs) Come back! (laughs) Plus, you know, they were about, I mean, well, some of them were, but not all of them, but but very often, especially when you're talking about Wagon Train, is about going somewhere, right? Um, It's uh, Going into the frontier. Yeah, going into the frontier, going out like into the unknown and it's dangerous. And like the only thing that you have to rely on, the only thing that you do know are the people who are making the journey with you. And uh, how you experience that together, you know, forms the, the heart of the drama. So, I mean, I, I by the way, completely agree that, that most of the influences, I think, on at least in terms of, you know, how we think about um, Star Trek stories like specific beats and stories probably come from like these movies that are about the sea right like some of which like you named that were gonna be tuesday but um you know that uh, i think that it's it is not unfair to say that uh that that gene was correct when he said it was wagon train to the stars that those things were i think a, a real intangible influence on uh, on what star trek became yeah. And, you know, Star Trek II, for instance, isn't just influenced by Hornblower, but it's also really influenced, obviously, by Moby Dick. So, Absolutely. again, a little too much, you know, so I guess in a way, the real animation of Star Trek is Octonauts. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Octonauts movie. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, but, <laughs> there's a Wednesday. Yeah, it's, it's funny because... Um, you know, you look at something like The Searchers, which is a movie, a John Ford movie I obviously really like, and I think it would make a, a fabulous, there's a sci-fi version of it, but there's yeah. probably not a Star Trek version of it. Uh, right there now. was on Deep Space Nine. Um, I think it was Melora. I could oh, be wrong. No, no, it wasn't no, Melora. No, it Melora was, was um, no. uh, crap. I have to, I have to. It was Melora crap. Was I don't absolute, remember that episode. Melora was absolutely not the episode. No, that, that was, was the, the Bashir one about, love interest yeah. with the wheelchair. Yeah. But it was the one about. Um, that about hit me Ducat. in the knee. Yes. Ducat's daughter. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, Ira Bear is such a huge fan of old movies. Classic yeah. movies, I should say. I don't believe in old movies. Classic movies. Classics. And, um, classics. and like so it's us, not surprising. We're going to be classics someday. Got to be. Classic experts. Is it possible that we have grown so old as to outlive our usefulness? It's absolutely Would that constitute possible. a joke? <laughs> um, Story okay. with a humorous climax. So, 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 great pick in Horatio Hornblower. So, Ashley, on, on our sister show, The Fourth Day Moon, you're known for your out of the box, you know, crazy uh, uh, picks. Uh, no one is expecting that from you today, but uh, you know, um, but I you am. know, I. I <laughs> I'm just saying, don't feel obligated to deliver insanity. You know, we're right. we're, we're we're here for you. We're, we were looking at the subject seriously, um, and love to know. You know, what 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 do you think is a Star Trek movie that's not a Star Trek movie? So, 
it's interesting that you you kind of brought up the connections to movies about the sea because originally my pick was going to be the enemy below, which I, I think you can draw a lot of one-to-one comparisons between the enemy below and balance of terror, like almost like beat for beat. And you know what? That's fine, right? Because good poets borrow, great poets steal. Imitation is in fact the sincerest form of flattery. The enemy below is like, it's a really great movie from 1957. It's like, it's uh, like freaking Robert Mitchum, man. Like how can you beat Robert Mitchum as Captain Kirk other than, you know, William Shatner's Captain Kirk like you can't like it's great it's um and you know you mentioned Run Silent Run Deep frankly I think there's an argument um for something believe it or not for for Das Boot right which is like uh, just this amazing underwater adventure like that so seduces you into the plight of that crew that when at the end of the film they surface and they get bombed by the British, like you're shaking your fist at the Brits and they go, oh, Oh, wait a minute. Whoops. Right. It's like, that's how effective that movie is. See, you can't say Das Boot. You know why you can't say Das Boot? Because it was a miniseries on TV. No, 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 no. You can't say it because we can't run a clip because the whole clip will be in German and no one will understand what the hell the clip is. So, uh, <laughs> so, okay. So then here's what, here's what this format has done to me. Right. Like, and, and this is where, like, I think it was a mistake to say, like, let's do it like the 430 movie, because there's a thing that happens in my brain. There is a, like a neuron that just we fires mm-hmm. and you tripped it. You tripped it. it. There is a fifth dimension. Beyond there is that. A fifth <laughs> dimension. Exactly. And I think, so I this think is he's more like the eighth dimension and the red electrodes. <laughs> Where are we going? Planet 10 or Wednesday. <laughs> when are we going there? Real soon. Um, by the way, kinda? Maybe. <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> it's not on my list, but now that you mention it. There's a crew, there's a captain, there's aliens. It's like it's and all wherever about you a- go, there you are. There you are. You could, could you see Chatner doing that at the beginning instead of uh, the you know uh, uh, to boldly go? Yes, but I can't see him playing the uh, flugelhorn. No, that's no, true. No, that's but I can true. see him asking, is there someone out there crying, crying in the dark? Crying in the dark. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. There you are. Don't, uh, don't be mean. We don't need well, to. Purpose of time is so that everything doesn't happen at once. Um, so here's my... And, and I can see Spock with his tricorder. <laughs> Why is there a... Uh, a watermelon is, is over it, there. Uh, scanning. Wait, is it? Yes. <laughs> did, did we, we should nuke making, Russia. Is he making fun of me? <laughs> just boute. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Big boute. Um, I, I, shit, man. Now I'm thinking Buckaroo Ponsai is not a bad pick. Although here's my out of the box pick. Although it, it, I think it works up until the very ending where it suddenly okay. horrifically stops working. All right. But it's kind of fun, right? Now it goes from, from this interpretation of Star Trek that a, a representative of civilization and morality as we understand it ventures to a land where, you know, the people and culture is somewhat recognizable but different in very important ways. And this civilization, this culture has a secret. The secret is dangerous. It puts our hero in danger. Um, Insurrection. Nope. Our hero 
has an objective that's laudable, there's a twist that gets our hero captured, right? And it's coming to understand the nature of the civilization and the culture and the relationship between that culture and civilization as we understand it, that is the key to understanding the story. Now, all of this describes the movie that's on my mind really well and kind of fits that Star Trek mold up until, well, let me put it this way. A Star Trek episode never ended with Captain Kirk inside of a giant wicker man being set on fire. Didn't it? Didn't it, though? <laughs> and Mark is like, oh, my God, what have we That's done? worse than any which way but loose. Uh, every which way but loose. Yeah, that, whatever. Right. I didn't pick any which way you can. I just want everybody to understand that. Um, but isn't that fascinating? Right now, for the record, that was not my pick until you mentioned the enemy below. Um mm. <laughs> I just felt like right. that was like that was going to be my interesting discussion followed by my pick. But now my like my 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 pick was kind of taken and that became the interesting discussion. And but look, in a in a, a more serious way of looking at it, right? It's like why doesn't that fit the template? And the reason why is that look, there's a there's a lot of things that that track that make sense, right? Edward Woodward is the representative of law the equalizer right he's also the equalizer but he is civilization right he goes into a situation that he does not understand and yeah. it's the things that he does not understand that create the conflict that create the story that culture is the thing that's interesting right that culture is the thing that creates the story problem but where it becomes different is it's not just that it ends in a dark way right it's not just that like that he ends up dead at the end, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Wicker Man, okay? Mm. The thing that I think, and, and this is why I actually even would argue against something like Das Boot, is that there is a, there is a nihilism at the heart of something like The Wicker Man, right? And there, there is no nihilism in Star Trek as we understand it. Sometimes it goes to dark places. Sometimes our characters make dark and difficult choices. But at the end of the day, right? We, Star Trek never posits that the barbarians make it past the gate and destroy civilization. And that civilization is a, is a thing that like should not be um, upheld or cannot withstand it. Right. right. Like there is. And again, I'm not even arguing that like because some of my favorite episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine are dark. But it's why I would say that even something like Das Boot, which in so many levels feels like it could be a Star Trek story, ultimately isn't because the mission is doomed. Right. And the mission in Star Trek is never doomed or shouldn't be doomed. I mean, I realize that there are Star Trek series that are entirely based on the premise that the mission is doomed. But maybe, maybe they shouldn't be. Um, so the truth of the matter is, if I were going to pick a, a submarine movie, right, um, I would go for something more like The Hunt for Red October. The most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. Remy has trained most of their officer corps. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. 
The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington. Nobody'd know a thing about it until it was all over. And once more, we play our dangerous game with our old adversaries, the American Navy. His plan is a mystery. A man with your responsibilities reading about the end of the world. Apparently, he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fire his missiles on the United States. He wanted us to help you hunt him down, kill him. Open the outer doors, firing point procedures. We sail into history. I'm going to blow him right to Mars. Ramius might be trying to defect. You're just an analyst. Why can you possibly know what goes on in this mine? I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I'm expendable. He's defecting. You willing to bet your life on that? From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. From the director of Die Hard. Give this man a chance. My orders are specific. Battle stations. Sean Connery. Alec Baldwin. James Earl Jones. Scott Glenn. Sam Neill. The Hunt for Red October. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because that is a movie where we go into the unknown, right? Like where we meet our enemy, where we befriend our enemy, where we realize that we have more in common with them than we ever knew. And that together, you know, we solve a problem and there is excitement, there is action, right? There are real stakes and it feels big. You know, it's just, and to me, well, like- it's, You know, I mean, in a way, Next Generation did that with the defector where right. James Sloyan plays a Romulan defector who's defecting to the Federation, but they're not sure if he's really defecting or not. Obviously, right. it's done on a much smaller scale because, right. you know, it's a one point five million dollar show, um, right. you know, that had to take place mostly on the ship. But um, it, it, you, you could compare that, uh, I think, to um, to Hunt for Red October. Yeah, it, I mean, it, go ahead. Uh, it, it just it brings up this 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 secondary question that is, you know, not when a show is is like Star Trek. It's it's a. It's a story that we would like to see as a Star Trek. Exactly. Uh, um, and I think there are a lot of those that uh, we would like to see. And maybe we can talk about that a little later. Yeah. It's not like in, in, in Trouble with Tribbles. Something we want to see as Star Trek. <laughs> I'm not saying your movie is I'm not Star saying Trek. your movie sucks. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a really good point, Darren. You know, it's, it's interesting because you talk about the idea that, you know, there, there are times where Star Trek did what a lot of shows did back in the 60s, which is rip off a popular movie. Sure. Um, and the original series obviously did it so well in Bounds of Terror with um, the uh, uh, the Enemy Below. They did it really well in the Galileo 7 where they ripped off sort of Flight of the Phoenix, right. you know, which I compare to something like uh, Battlestar Galactica 1978, full disclosure, a show that I love. But it did things like um, Fire in Space, which was a ripoff of Towering Inferno. In fact, it even right. used footage from the Towering Inferno, which is awful, right? right. It's just awful. I mean, even Gun and Ice Upon a Zero, which is kind of fun, is basically doing Guns of Neverone. And the yeah. problem is Guns of Neverone doesn't make any sense in space yeah. where you can go in any direction. And there's a giant gun that's going to shoot down the fleet. You have One to gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> between these, the, you know, paths between these planets where the gun will shoot you down. There's no way to go around it. It's like, oh my gosh. No, because uh, it will ravish all. Yeah, the ravish all 
pulsar. <laughs> it's, and it's called a pulsar. I don't know oh. why that is. Is it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, the Ravishal. Dan Hoherlihy, though. Oh, it was, was Howard Hughes' favorite it, episode. He would. <laughs> <laughs> he would that's, you, now yeah. you're talking about I Stacey Newgrant. You're talking about memories. But the thing, the thing is, it's funny you say that because I had a pick for my pick. And during the course of our conversation, I said, no, I'm going to go with Ice Station Zebra. So it's funny you, you bring that up yeah. because Ice Station Zebra was largely written, adapted the Alistair McLean story adapted right. by Patty Chayefsky. So it takes this kind of pot boiler espionage thriller and elevates it yeah. with this incredible dialogue, Ch- Ch- um, Ch- uh, Patty Chayefsky-esque dialogue. So, and then you have Patrick McGowan, who's so good in it. And Rock yeah. Hudson basically doing a, a Shatner-esque Kirk yeah. kind of captain, or very, or maybe Pike. He's sort of a combination of Pike and Kirk. Beneath the waters of the North Atlantic, the American nuclear submarine Tigerfish 3 begins its voyage to the Arctic camp. Their destination, a secret outpost at the top of the world. Ice Station Zebra. Take her up. Their orders are to beat the Russians. On board, one man is determined to stop them. I've already vouched for Mr. Vaslov. As for me, you can safely eliminate me. Why? Oh, you must. Why? Biological absurdity. Haven't you forgotten, Captain? I'm in charge of this operation. Those orders come to you from your chief of naval operations and direct to him from your president. So before we go any further, I suggest that you get me there, put another torpedo up the spout, blow a hole in the ice, and get me there! Station Zebra. And the action really begins. But, um, he's uh, but nice he, high station he got here, he's Mr. Perfect. Pike. <laughs> but, uh, but McGowan, who, you know, you're not sure exactly, he's a mysterious, yeah. you know, enigmatic figure. Patrick Magowan? You know, it's, it's, I mean, like in The Prisoner. He he's so great. He's so great, and it has this incredible cast. It's like Jim Brown and Ernest Borgnine, and um, uh, who who else is in it? Because it's just this amazing cast. But it 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 totally has the feel. In fact, I think it was Alan, our good friend Alan Spencer who first uh, turned me on to this movie. He said, yeah. "Oh, you got to watch Ice Station Zebra. It's like watching a, a a really great episode of the original Star Trek." And um, and it's like the Enterprise, and you know, there's kind of like the scene where you know they're sinking and they have to save the ship we need more power right. and um uh, and and there's you know the russians in that movie might as well be the klingons so uh th- that to me totally fits the paradigm we're talking about completely agreed agreed i, I, I like that pick yeah yeah it's it's really and for those in the audience look we sometimes i know we talk about stuff very esoteric if you have not seen ice station zebra 
you should really watch it. It's super fun. And if you're a fan of the original series, you'll probably really get a kick out of it. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, it really feels like, like a Star Trek, just like a Star Trek episode. Um, but yeah, and, there's so, yet, so many. It's true that Howard Hughes loved that movie. In fact, he loved it so much that he bought a local TV station in Las Vegas and told them to just play that movie every night. And he, he would watch it from his uh, suite in uh, uh, a hotel in Vegas. And uh, it's a it's a wild story. Yeah, it really is a wild story. And I know, that, you know, all these Howard Hughes biopics, you know, they always want to put that story in. And I guess it never makes its way in. But yeah, yeah. how he would watch Ice Station Zebra every night, yeah. every day. Um, and it never gets old. <laughs> Lovely. I mean, it's like one yeah. of us, you know, watching Star Trek all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Who would no, do that? I don't know. Yeah, who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. Like, how many times between us have we seen Star Trek Two? Do we think between all of us? Yeah, let's yeah, see. I would say that. conservatively, I've probably seen it maybe about one hundred and seventy times. Easily, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I would think. You know, and if I really did the math, the times that you play it in your mind. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Just gonna in sit my, back, close my eyes, and watch Star. Honey, what are you in doing? In my mind, Star Trek too. Hold on, it's yeah. my favorite part. <laughs> well, and then look. Obviously, we can't do a show like this without mentioning. But it, I don't know if the show fits the paradigm because it clearly inspired Star Trek more than you know. It, it, it so it's not really a Star Trek movie. It's not Star Trek. But it's Forbidden Planet, of course. Yeah, of course. You know, but you know, but the Forbidden Planet is the cage. So. Yes. I'm not sure if it really qualifies for this or if it, you know, it, it absolutely does, but it's more that Star Trek was influenced by Forbidden Planet than Forbidden Planet is a Star Trek. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster than light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Well, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. Well, it's certainly a Star Trekian story that is not Star Trek. It, I like to think of it as taking place in the Star Trek universe. That's uh, interesting. But I mean, I don't disagree. April. I'm just saying that, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. I, I, I love the idea of it taking place in the Star Trek universe. Whereas, by the same token, right? Like, just to kind of, this is like the thought experiment to kind of, to, to differentiate, like, Forbidden Planet, kind of what makes that feel Star Trek. And I, I would never accuse 2001 of being Star Trek. Right. It's like because and I mean, and look, my 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 I nearly like it feelings about it are on record, but it's just it's not the same. It doesn't have the same humanist interest. Yeah, it's 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 not about characters. It's about humanity. Right. Yes. Right. It's it's the focus of it. Yeah. But that's why people would compare the motion picture to 2001, because it's about big ideas. 
but is but even as it's motion picture is more about character than 2001 i think yeah. our i mean i don't know if you if, if there's been any discussions on this podcast about star trek the motion picture but i, I think that uh, we, <laughs> we you mean the secret agree. project right yeah the secret <laughs> project but that we could all agree that our favorite stuff in that movie is like character is stuff. all the character shit Absolutely. so um i mean okay. i stand corrected um i'd I'd like to bring up something if we don't uh, just to just to throw this out it's not a movie it's a uh it is a uh uh, miniseries uh from uh, 1977 shogun shogun james cavell's number one international bestseller shogun the emmy award-winning television masterpiece the unforgettable epic of two warlords battling with destiny, creating a civilization for all time. The honor and the horror, the power and the passion, the beauty and the tragedy. Richard Chamberlain, Tashiro Mufuni, a six-part epic presentation that is Shogun. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Shogun. That's interesting. That's, that's a great Star series. Story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Star Trek story. Absolutely. Um, you can just imagine, uh, you know, Captain Kirk in the in the title role being stranded on a Klingon planet and having to having to learn their ways and uh, and survive. Mm-hmm. And it's just a fascinating idea if you look at it with that lens that um, you can uh, you can make really good Star Trek stories that aren't that haven't been done yet. It's like a good version of the Paradise Syndrome, right? Exactly. I am Kira. Exactly. <laughs> That's actually yeah. a pretty good band name. I am, I am Kira. I am Kira. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Although, I mean, we saw those shirts at, at, at Vegas. Edith Keeler must die. I think that's a better band name. <laughs> that yeah. is. A, that's a great. Uh, band I, I, name. I don't know why I didn't get one of those shirts for my wife. Uh, it's just like because uh, those were cool. Yeah. What was the name of that company? I gotta check out their website. I, I want an Edith Keeler must die shirt. <laughs> I'm going to start a band and I don't even know how to play an instrument just so I can call my band Edith Keeler must die. Many people have done that kind of thing. That's time. right. That's true. That's true. So Sadly. anyway, yeah, I'll play harmonica. So, um, you know, I was going to say the only thing about that's a great choice to show them, by the way, that um, uh, forbidden planet would be on a Rosetta stone with um, wagon train. When you t- we talk about the, 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 the DNA of star Trek, right. Um, right. But, uh, you know, when we look at these other movies that um, could be Star Trek movies, but weren't, um, obviously, a lot of people can say to us, you haven't mentioned Galaxy Quest yet, which a lot of people call the best Star Trek movie. That's, you know, the best Star Trek movie, period. It's well, not, although I don't think it, 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 it oh, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think it's fun. It's and a I think very it's a entertaining wonderful movie, movie that makes us think about Star Trek. Right. In the far reaches of the galaxy. <laughs> A civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. 
acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. I'm done. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it. We'll go for the mouth to throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that not a vulnerable spot. And even yes. if it were, it only exists because, because Star Trek is a context yes. for it. Yes. Right. Which is I almost agree. automatically disqualifying for, for the purposes of this conversation. Right. right. And I've said this before. If anything, you know, to me, it evokes the memories of this wonderful short story from Star Trek New Voyages from the 70s called Voyage to a Small Planet Revisited, right. which is about mm -hmm. William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly finding themselves on the real Enterprise. Yeah. And Galaxy Quest to me is that story come to life. Um, and that's lovely. And it doesn't take away from Galaxy Quest, but it doesn't it doesn't make it the greatest Star Trek movie ever because it's, yeah. it's an homage, just like Free Enterprise isn't the greatest Star Trek movie ever. Since Mark was a boy, and since Robert was a boy, they've worshipped one man. The Lawrence Olivier of the Airways. What are you doing here? I'm one of the top ten imaginary friends kids have, just behind John Travolta, Reggie Jackson, and Farrah Fawcett Majors. But... Oh, my God. They're about to discover... It'll make a big suit. Mr. Shatner, I would like to say that I think you are the greatest American actor ever. I'm a Canadian. That their lifelong hero... I've got an idea. ...is definitely not of this world. It's a musical version of Julius Caesar. <sighs> I want to do the complete text. Well, I'll, I'll play Julius Caesar and all the other parts, too. The man I idolized since I was two turns out to be a raving loon. Ouch. And now... My lady friend, she left me. How can that be? I mean, you're you. He's going to lead them. How cool is that? On a voyage. Oh, my. To find love. Guys, you gotta mix a little reality in with your imagination. That's way stranger than science fiction. I'm not the one with the green girl sex fantasy. Oh, my. Did you see the way that she was peeping you? I don't believe it. I just met the most fantastic female. Claire, you should be happy for her. When Spock got infected by the spores and fell in love with Leela Colomi, he was happy too. But Kirk fought him, made him resist. Yeah, whatever. Who do you see starring in it? Rafer Weigel, Eric McCormick, Audie Englund, Patrick Van Horn, Phil Lamar, and William Shatner. In that Dr. Spock guy with those pointy ears. As Bill. You can call me Mr. Shatner now. No tears for Caesar. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turned with their bones. No one will ever believe this. Free Enterprise. Love long yeah. and party. Dance with the captain. Oh, yeah. It's an homage to Star Trek yeah. that people love, and I thank you for it. Um, but uh, and I, I think it's 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 a tribute to Bill Shatner. It's it, it's it and a celebration of Star Trek. Yeah. But it's not a Star Trek movie. Right. right. Um, the sequel would have been. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So, so and again, it's an important distinction. 
Yeah, um, no, I, I agree. And I look, I, I deeply, deeply appreciate when people come up to me and say, oh, it's my favorite Star Trek movie. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, I don't think it is a Star Trek movie. I think it's um, it's something else entirely. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. No, not at all. I was just thinking of a, uh, you know, of uh, more of a Western that uh, could absolutely be in the Star Trek vein. Um, 1939's John Ford film Stagecoach. What fascinating stories there were in the life of the stagecoach and in the lives of its courageous passengers who found romance in danger and understanding in strange companionships. From the adventures of these American frontier characters, John Ford has created a truly great motion picture, Stagecoach, a drama as forceful and as true as the informer and as gripping as the hurricane. Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Because I could see that. You know, here we are, a, a, a small group of uh, people who are out of their element, traveling to a strange place uh, via a, uh, a manner that they are not familiar with. And there are a couple of, uh, of uh, you know, learned and experienced uh, uh, people to help them through this. Um, but, you know, transposing that into a Star Trek format would be amazing. You know, have it, yeah. everybody on a shuttle. Uh, well, and the Ringo kid played by John Wayne is very much a Star Trek character. Absolutely. Guy is kind of a villain, but he's not really. And he turns yeah. out to be, you know, good hearted guy. And who, who basically he's a villain is because he's had to learn to be tough to survive. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, a stagecoach is so much fun. And again, a movie that a lot of our audience may not have seen. Absolutely. And you have the chance. Uh, it, it's uh, there's a beautiful Criterion Blu-ray of it. I think it plays the Criterion. I think it may be on HBO Max under their Criterion or TCM uh, um, uh, hub. But uh, it's a terrific, fun, delightful. Of course, we're talking about the original, not the remake. Right. You know, here's one that's maybe out of the box in a different direction than I normally go. It's um, you, it's me, right? That I think like is. Um, it's not the story is not a Star Trek story, but it's the kind of premise that I think would fit comfortably in Star Trek. And I think maybe actually did now that I think about it. But but primarily as a next generation episode, mm-hmm. the Truman Show. Well, that's interesting. You know, I could kind of see that. I mean, if you sort of imagine like future imperfect as a version of the Truman Show, mm-hmm. right? Or it's like, you know, Riker thinks that he's in the future, but really he's just being observed and it's all just this reality that's constructed around. Like there's a version of that that I think is maybe interesting, but even if it weren't right, it's, I just, I just, I just find that, I, I don't know how. In a, strange that way, in a strange way, the cage is almost like that. Yeah, true. And that Enterprise episode observer effect where the Organians are monitoring humanity on, on the Enterprise you know, not that I'm holding it up as a great uh, episode or anything, but, you know, I could see how that, you know, I could see how the, the Truman Show potentially, you know, could be. And, it, you know, it has that idea in Star Trek in a way that, that true love will transcend everything. You know, the, yeah. the woman who tried to warn uh, Truman and then eventually reunites with him. Um, and it, it's a mind bender, you know, and, and and even there's no one who's really evil in that, even. Uh, Ed Harris, I think, thinks he's doing good. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as, as Rob would say, they're only antagonists, no villains. Right. 
I think that, that what is true for so many of these picks we have is that it's not necessarily the story or the settings, but it's the quality of the characters that make right. it, you know, yeah. uh, connect to Star Trek because the Star Trek that we love has these quality characters and they have depth and they have uh, consistency and they have uh, traits that are laudable. That's um, why my favorite Star Trek movie of the 90s is Crimson Tide, mm-hmm. which to me yeah. is totally a Star Trek. And in fact, it even references Star yeah. Trek with right. um, uh, 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 the talking about, you know, Denzel Washington telling, you know, he needs more be power like to be, yeah. be like Scotty. Uh, in some dialogue that was actually written by Quentin Tarantino, who did an uncredited polish on on the film. But uh, the, the the sort of uh, two men at loggerheads of Denzel and Gene Hackman, you yeah. know, and they're both right and they're both wrong. Yeah. It makes it, to me, a really, really uh, Star Trekian conceit. And obviously, you know, the sub action and everything that's at stake, it, it, you know, it has the the, the stakes you know, the operatic stakes of, uh, you know, global Armageddon that Star Trek often had, um, you know, to me, Crimson Tide and also great dialogue, you know, great acting. Um, it's just a, it's a terrific movie that doesn't get the love now that it should, because I think it's largely overshadowed by um, Hunt for Red October, which is also a terrific right. movie, but I love Crimson Tide. It's my favorite me Tony too. Scott movie. As you no doubt heard, my exo has appendicitis. Your name was at the top of the list. Well, that's good to know, sir. It was a short list. There's trouble in Russia. So they called us. And we're going over there and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised. The last time we hit this state of emergency was 32 and a half years ago during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So this is what it's all about, gentlemen. It's what we train for. Submerge the ship. Diving officers who murder the ship make a depth 150 feet. On the 1MC, dive, dive. This year. We have a properly formatted emergency action message from National Command Authority. What we've always known. Bravo, Echo, Echo, Charlie, Alpha. Becomes what we've always feared. Telling this to the captain, Russian rebels have threatened to launch against our country and are fueling right now. This is not a drill. Now. Sir, we have a possible submerged submarine. You find out who that is. Receiving emergency action message. Recommend alert one. The battle for survival begins. That's a message fragment. Sir, we don't know what this message means. Our target package could have changed. I've made a decision. There's no place for fear. He's lost his nerve. I'd rather go out myself and get this one wrong. There's no room for mistakes. If we launch and we're wrong, what's left of Russia is going to launch at us. I'm captain of this boat. I don't have to think this over. There's no time for doubt. The missile system's ready to launch in six minutes. You repeat this order or I'll find somebody who will. Oh, no, you won't, sir. And nothing can stop the tide.
Me too. I mean, well, my favorite Tony Scott movie is True Romance, but Crimson Tide is a close second. Um, but, you know, what I love about that movie the most is that the, 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 the conflict, right, the, the sort of the, the moral reality of the conflict is not obvious, right? Now, we're inside of Denzel Washington's point of view. Like, we, we want to believe that Denzel Washington is right, but we cannot dismiss Gene Hackman because yeah. the scenario is set up, like, just so cleverly that because we're in a black box, because we're getting the message like one letter at a time, right? Because we don't know and the stakes are so high, it makes the choice that everybody is facing really interesting. Yeah. Um, it makes the idea, it, it, it almost makes it play like, and it's really kind of what the judgment is on everybody at the end that really nobody committed mutiny, like everybody did their duty. Um, and it's just kind of an effed up situation, right? That like that nobody anticipated. Um, and it's just, that's what I love about it. And I even love that at the end, it's like there is that kind of mutual, it's Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington don't come out of that, um, out of that meeting with the adjutant, like, at each other's throats or hating mm. each other. They come out of it with just this respect, you know, mm -hmm. of, yeah, you were doing your job and you were doing your job, right? And we can both respect that. And I, and I well, think that's what's great about it. There's very erudite conversations about Ben Clausewitz and yeah. about philosophy and war and the whole idea that in the nuclear era, the, you know, the real horror is, is war itself. Right. Um, you know, it's like some really interesting, you know, sort of provocative uh, topics in a popcorn melodrama that yeah. it, it deals with. And, and that's what Star Trek also did very well. It dealt, you know, provocatively in a popcorn kind of way with some very deep issues. It took Nixon to go to China. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm telling, I got, I got, I'm lining up Steve Asbell. To, we, we have a, a show coming up. It's going to be Darren versus steve asbell about star trek six they're going to go at it darren as the the con not con k-h-a-n as c-o-n and asbell is the pro and yeah. they're going to go at it and we're going to ashley and i are going to moderate I look uh, forward a, to it. it's going to be great he has to prepare he's he's i think he's a little worried about you uh he's, so <laughs> i mean I, he's in training you know, now he's out chasing chickens in the backyard ashley and i are going to go ding ding <laughs> With the with the bell, it's going to be great. I'm I, I'm not quite sure how we're going to do that. We're going to get thrown some Rocky music. It's going to be great. Um, and and that's not to be confused with our commentary that we're going to be doing on. Don't tell anyone. Star Trek Three. It's coming from oh. Inglorious Trexperts soon. But is it going to be on an entirely different podcast? It is. <laughs> it's going to be on this. It's going to be on this podcast. Okay. It, it, it's it's going to be. It's not going to be on an entirely. It's not going. Well, it might be on the other podcast. I don't know. Maybe it'll be on both feeds. Maybe something of that magnitude should be on <laughs> both feeds. So too big for one podcast. So That's all those. Right. It's a crossover who, with itself. So all those people who say. I don't want to listen to you talk about Star Trek three. We'll have no choice because it'll be on both podcast feeds. It, it'll be oh, the wow. biggest download in the history of the show. I don't know. We've had some pretty huge shows. So. You know what? It might be a good idea to put half of it on here and half. Of it oh, on. then they realize it's an entirely different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a clever idea. A you idea. You're a sorcerer that one. Um, by, by the way, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, of course, and you guys will laugh. This, this is, a, you know, for talking about a, a Star Trek wannabe or Star Trek movie, Destination Moonbase Alpha 
the moon has become a vast, complex space station. Suddenly, frightened, blasted out of Earth orbit, destined to journey forever, deeper and deeper into the unknown. Destination Moon Base Alpha, an epic adventure across the universe to experiences beyond the imagination of any Earth-bound human, where human extinction on Moon Base Alpha may be seconds away. Which is yeah. the, uh, the 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 movie version of Bringers of Wonder from Space 1999? And if ever there was a wannabe Star Trek, it was uh, Space 1999 season two under the aegis of uh, Fred Freiberger. That's right. Trying to get it, trying to get it right again, and failing again. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not out there to uh, defend season two of Space 1999, but I enjoyed it. Uh, but I completely understand those that. Uh, that believe the opposite. It had you know, great spaceships, lasers. Yeah. The, and the, the new music from Derek Wadsworth was great too. I mean, you had the Barry Gray music, which was awesome in the first season. Then the second season, you had Derek Wadsworth and the music was awesome. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to give you a little, a little spoiler for No Time to Die. The oh. Hans Zimmer score. Awesome. One of the few good things about it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, the Hans Zimmer score is great. And he uses a, a couple of key Bond themes beyond the main title theme, which is, uh, you know, uh, which is great. So I'm not going to say anything more about that. Um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, at Destination Movie Base Alpha, as I said on our sister show, 4.3 movie, also one of the great one sheets, gorgeous one sheet for Destination Movie Base Alpha. Got big letters on it. So it's like, um, you know, also Star Trek movies have nice one sheets. Well, some of them. Yeah. Some of them. Some of them. Some well, of them. Yeah. Like the motion picture and the Bob Peak version of Star Trek Two, yeah, and uh, Star Trek Insurrection. No, no, no. no. Uh, you know what? I don't think I mean, any of the it. other. I think that's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I mean, none of them really. The rest of them aren't very good one sheets. No. I'm thinking. No. I'm going through my head. Nope. No. no. Not really. Not course, great. Everyone's one sheets. shouting at their uh, audio devices right now. Steve Asmel is about to message Look, me, I'm sure. The Star Trek, <laughs> the, the Star Trek one sheet, Star Trek six one sheet is not bad. Right. It's I not like bad, the Star Trek. Yeah. But it's certainly derivative of everything else. Yeah. 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 But um, the rest of them, not so good. Okay. Um, where, where do we fall? You know, I guess if, if you're doing Star Trek in the Picard vein, then maybe Starship Troopers would qualify for this. Now the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir. But they will face an enemy more 
more devastating than any ever imagined. TriStar Pictures takes you to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. Where it's sort of uh, a more, um, a different take on on, on Earth and... Um, uh, no, I think that the problem was... Darker. The problem with Starship Troopers is that um, if you're paying attention, people are bad. I, well, that's what I'm saying. That's why, you know, in Picard, oh, okay, the Federation's kind of bad, you know, but, right? But They're kind of... No, not not yet. Oh, oh, you mean you mean the new Picard? He means the new Picard. Yeah, oh, I mean the new Picard, not, not the... Not, not, the yeah. not the Picard Brand we know new cherry love. flavor Picard. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, my personal opinion is that... Uh, uh, I thought we were talking about Star Trek. Ouch, okay. girlfriend. Wow. Okay. okay. So well, then, on that note, look, we talk, hey, we're lovers. Needle scratch. We're, we're, lovers, not, we're, we're lovers, not haters on yeah, the right, show. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. move on I to love uh, stuff we Star love. Trek. Well, there was my pick um, when the 430 movie did the uh, did the actual, you know, Star movies that aren't Star Trek movies. Right. Yeah. Um, I believe my pick was Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, I would stand yeah, by that. I, you know, we actually that show was in the shadow of Star Trek Week. Okay, fair. which was a follow up to our popular in the shadow of Star Wars Week. So it was kind of movies that were inspired by the success of these things. This right. is a little different. We're saying movies that feel like have the feel Trek. of a Star Trek episode. Are we going to do in the shadow of space? In another universe, they, we could have called them Star Trek. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. Poor friend. You don't know. Speaking of which, okay. So, so Darren, Darren started us off with clearly the right answer for all of us. The, the movie that is is the most Star Trekky of all of these, and that's Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. Uh, you you have a, 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 a main characters very much the Bones Kirk relationship with Russell Crowe and um, uh, um, Vision. Um, right. Although he's he's both Bones and Spock. Yes, very that much is so, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And and there's lots of scenes in the briefing room. I would argue. And... I would argue that his cook Killick is more McCoy. Right. Yeah. Mm, interesting. All okay. I know is they gave him a ship with children on it. That's right. <laughs> the powder. That's monkey. true. And he stayed at his post when the trainings ran. He did, and he lost his arm. Yeah. That's that's great. And then of course. Uh, you know, uh, there is also uh, like the Romulan commander, the commander of the French ship. Yeah. He's a sorcerer, that one. And what a great ending. What a great twist. It's a great ending. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, again, highly recommended. I haven't read the books. I know they're very popular uh, book series, but the, the movie's terrific. And, and the great uh, thing about it is that the books started coming out in the early 70s. So I would argue that they are absolutely influenced by Star Trek. If you can make that case. I think yeah. you can make that. But there are moments where you feel like you're watching a Star Trek movie. And Absolutely. when they get to the far side of the world, it's like they beam down to an alien planet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, they, or they went yeah. down the to Genesis. It's is like, an alien uh, planet. It's yeah. guys, the the structure of Star Trek II like is master and commander. I mean, I would like argue that like like up one side and down the other. Totally. That like that the structure of that film came from those books. Um, yeah. and that things were just 
like i mean it, which is casting no shade on anything right it's right. like a, you know it's it's great poets bar a good poets bar a great poet steel like and it's awesome but you can see look oh there's the matara nebula scene yep. right now they're going down to genesis and we got to hang out on genesis a little bit but wait oh, the here whole they storm come. The where whole they're chasing sh- him in the storm yeah i mean that's the matara nebula exactly right yeah. except they can't you know Except it is all two dimensional. Now, if like if uh, if if Captain Jack Aubrey had like managed to like descend into the ocean to take out the French ship, then I'd be like, right, right. Wow. And then there was a the part where go. Paul Bettany had to you know go into the reactor chamber. I uh, shall avenge you. <laughs> no, wait, that didn't happen. But you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. no, no. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's Look, it's, it's really. Would- when I was uh, down in Mexico working on it and I got to read the script for the first time, I said, holy cow, it's Star Trek. Absolutely. From the script, you could absolutely tell. So, yeah, no, that, that, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's great. We, um, it's funny because I did, I, we did an episode of Pandora, which was basically Logan's run. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that was also fun. It was a little dash of Star Trek and a little dash of Logan Front. And it was the same thing. And you, you could throw in these little homages. So, like, the planet they land on is Clayton's World, named after George, uh, you know, Clayton, who Clayton wrote Clark. Logan's Run. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. It also uh, C- it was CW, which was, you know, so it was it was, was fun it to do those little homages. Plankton, sea greens, and protein. From the <laughs> no, in that case, it was not. Um, but, yeah, Master and Commander seems like, the textbook um, Star Trek movie that wasn't uh, and, and Russell Crowe, you know, at the height of his powers, you know, is somebody who had the same charisma and dangerous energy of a young Shatner, you know, yeah. where like he could be charismatic. He could be dangerous. You believe him in a fist fight. Um, yeah. He'd be large in life. He could be funny. Um, and you could believe him being a little tortured. So he, you know, he, he had, he, he, he had the qualities of like Shatner as Kirk too as command and also very smart and calculating um and and obsessed because he didn't want to give up he he could have turned around and gone back to england but he doesn't do it it's much like you know kirk and obsession Mm -hmm. or in galio 7 where he's not going to give up looking for spock in the galio 7 and you know so many times where we're or balance of terror i mean the 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 upshot is that my you know my perfect casting for a star trek movie reboot would have been Russell Crowe as Captain Kirk, mm. uh, Hugo Weaving as Spock, mm. and Gary Sinise as Dr. McCoy. Right, 20 I mean, years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, it well, depends. Are you remaking Star Trek VI? That's correct. That's correct. Um, but, you know, the fact that, the, the fact that Crowe is so good in that movie uh, yeah. and that he has both the... Um, the aspect of seriousness and uh, and professionalism to know what to do uh, in these situations. He's really smart, but he also is a good captain that gets that uh, gets the best out of his crew. Yeah, and uh, he knows how to deal with them, every one of them, and it's really well done. And then when he gets mad at you, he throws a communicator at you. That's gonna <laughs> duck. <laughs> okay maybe not um but boy I'd, I'd watch that as a star trek movie in a heartbeat absolutely yeah yeah no for sure and you know i'll just throw one thing out there before we wrap up you know what what what, what, what <laughs> this is really out there you know what has the feeling of star trek wicker, wicker man no ted, ted lasso it has the optimism and the heart 
of, of, of Star Trek and the relationship between the, the Troika. And uh, I know it's a crazy, crazy thought, but, um, but it, you know, to me, the, the, some of the things that I love about Star Trek, you know, are, are, are and Ted Lasso, you guys are looking at me like I've lost my mind. I'm, I, I fully respect your uh, right to pick things that I may not agree with all the time. This is one of those cases. As That's do I. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the thriller in Manila when <laughs> Darren Doctor and Steve Asbell go at it. It's going to be blood on that tarmac. Well, I, I <laughs> in sure this I corner, like... it's the president of 20th <laughs> Pictures. <laughs> in the other corner, it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be magical. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those are those are those are some really, I think, great uh, great picks by everybody. Even you, Ashley. I love them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so do you. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, these are all these are all movies that anyone doing Star Trek in the twenty first century should look at for inspiration. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, with with stories like these out there, there is absolutely no reason you should have a bad Star Trek. Absolutely none. And if you're doing Galactica, you should look at Zero Hour. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is great. This is a really interesting show, as always. And thank you, gentlemen, for um, uh, you know whatever it is we do. For what we do, and we're going to be back <laughs> with some uh, some new episodes. We have uh, still coming up uh, Revelations, the Enterprise, uh, the Enterprise uh, Bible episode, and we're going to do Exodus which is going to be uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, the Deep Space Nine Bible. So we, we're going to continue our deep dive into the uh, the writers and directors Bibles um, of uh, the various Star Trek series coming in on future uh, episodes of Inglorious Trexperts. And of course, um, our guest hosts, Peter and Lisa, will be back with some special treats as well. Um, and uh, you can always listen to our uh, audio commentaries into significant Star Trek episodes on Trexpert's Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast <laughs> from the one you're listening to. You need to subscribe to Trexpert's Briefing Room, and uh, you also need to rate them five stars to let people know you're digging what they're doing. I know Peter and Lisa have had a couple of shows recently that have just hit it out of the park with Brian Absolutely. Fuller and Denise uh, Crosby and um, uh, 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 Professor uh, Muhammad Moore. Oh, no, they haven't gotten William Shatner yet. They didn't get William Shatner. I fully no. expect to find out that one morning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any danger of that happening. And, and you saw George Takei was down at Trek Conderoga in, uh, in his uh, original uh, uh, Star Trek regalia. That was pretty fun. It was absolutely fun. And uh, it looks like George had a great time. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Brad. And it looks like they're making uh, making progress on their next generation sets as well. Absolutely. Well, that's great for James and everyone at Ticonderoga. And um, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to get down there at some point, as I know Ashley is as well. For sure. So um, if you're a fan of this podcast, I hope you'll uh, um, listen to our sister podcasts, um, Trexpert's Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast, but we their main fourth movie, as well as Cartoon Bar Room with Ashley and Steve. Always a fun time on Saturday mornings. And a special thanks to Natalie Miscali, Zach Raggis, Peter Holmstrom, and of course, our fabulous sound engineer, the great Bill Ritter, who continues, I can't believe it, it's like go almost two years now, and we're still doing this remotely. Yeah. Uh, and thank you, Bill, for making us sound so good and um, making sure the clips get integrated into the, um, 
Although, uh, no clip from Das Boat. I was going to uh, say, good luck with the German. <laughs> Wait, there is a dub version, but there's no way we're no, no. that in. We're not dignifying that with the presence in our show. And, uh, of course, uh, today is um, the premiere of No Time to Die, and I'll be interested in hearing your feedback on that uh, on social and uh, talking to you gentlemen about it offline. And then, of course, um, you can follow us at Inglorious Trek on Twitter, Inglorious Trexperts on Trek on Trexperts, Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram and on Facebook. So until next week, when we return with an all new episode of Inglorious Trexperts on behalf of Ashley, Darren Docterman, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course, engage. You're listening to the Electric Surge Network.